Good morning, everyone. Great to see you. I know you probably saw it on your, your, your religious spiritual calendar that this is the holy day of trunk or treat that is observed in the Christian faith every year. Man, I hope you're excited about trunk or treat tonight. It's going to be great. If you've never been a part of it, it is, we have a bunch of cars that are decorated with candy. We have, a, you know, like 500 kids that show up with their families. We'll have food trucks. There's a truck that's going to be out there called Mac Daddy. Um, I don't know, but there's some illegal things going to be done with some mac and cheese that we invite you to experience. That will be incredible. Um, let's see. We're going to have photo booths. We'll have uh, jump castle, all kinds of things out there for you and your kids. So please, and if you didn't know about it, the reason why you might not have known about it is because you might have forgotten or didn't know to download our new app. While I'm preaching today, while I'm talking, if you get a little bored, go to, go to the app store on your phone, whether it's an Android or an Apple, go to it and just type in Crosstown and you can download the app. And part of that will give you all of our announcements, ways to give, but also will give you a copy of the notes um, for today's message. Well, all the notes that I have, you'll get so you can be able to peruse them. And if you look over them and it looks like it's going to stink today, you can just get up and walk out and just save yourself about 30, 35 minutes. So it's a really good app it's, and, and download it. So we've been talking about uh, how we face life when sometimes it gets hard. And I think that happens to everybody. There's nobody here that's found a way around that. And when the circumstances are difficult in our lives, so we wanted to start to live inside out. Instead of allowing the outside in so often and re, kind of redefining how we live lives, we wanted to begin to live inside out. And we are looking at the book of Philippians that the Apostle Paul wrote. And the reason why this is such an, an important and good book is because he's really in it. I mean, he's, he's stepped into some stuff that's just not going away. He's been put into prison. He's shackled to a guard 24-7, and he knows he's going to die. Now, that's, a, that's an extreme experience that, that he's having, but what's really important is what begins to come out of his life, what he begins to talk about, and what he begins to communicate, because it gives us hope. It helps us understand how we should orient our lives so that we can press back against situations. So his heart and his attitude is really revealed. I love what he's praying in Philippians 1.3 as he's writing to this group of people. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in every prayer for you all in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. I thank God, I pray with joy, and I am confident. What an incredible orientation of inner thought in life and the disposition of an inner person, an inside-out attitude to have when facing difficult situations that we can't really change. We learned about how happiness, though it's the big pursuit of America, that happiness is circumstantial. That happiness means that you're... It's circumstantial in the sense that there's a circle of things and you stand in the middle of it. And what we try to do in the pursuit of happiness is get everything in our circumference filled with things that make us happy. And we try to control those things, what we buy, who we hang out with, what we look at, what we listen to. We try to orient our lives so that our circle is full of happy things. But if you've been living life 
at least a little bit, you realize that it becomes incredibly exhausting and expensive to try to keep everything in your circle happy. I mean, it almost becomes impossible when you begin to, as you grow older, you should see the difficulties that you're faced with, and they begin to enter into the circle of life, and you've got to determine how you're going to live your life, how you're going to create some sort of pushback. But we've also learned that joy is a result of an inward confidence that provides an outside-proof attitude. Happiness is based upon circumstance. Joy is based upon assurance in God. Happiness happens by, cho- um, by, by chance. I mean, there is so much, and I, I'm using the word chance very loosely here, but there are a lot of things that we can't control about it. You, you, didn't, you didn't control what ethnicity that you would be born. You didn't control what family you were born into. You probably didn't control what nation you would be born into or what kind of economics that you're growing up in. There's, the, you, you didn't choose what your IQ level is or your physical abilities are. You didn't choose um, what your appearance is. So there's so many things about life that we rely on to be happy that really do seem to happen to us by chance or at least outside of our control. But we learned that choice happen, that joy happens by choice and that the most important act you'll ever perform as a human being, your greatest and most sacred act you'll ever perform, it'll be something that you will do before prayer. It'll be something before you help another human being. It'll be something that you will do before you grieve or before you lose hope before you get depressed, there'll be this one act that you will perform, and that is to make a choice. You will make a choice about how you will face the outside world from an inside attitude. And the Apostle Paul is, is in this place in his own life. So we looked at where joy comes from. And one of the places we saw that joy came from is from the Lord. That he literally, when we ask him, we ask God to give us his joy through his spirit moving in us. God, I don't got it today. I don't have any joy. I, maybe I'm having difficulty having joy about this marriage I'm in or the job or the career that I've chosen or a joy about you know, how I feel physically or the economics of my life. And there are some times when you just can't muster up enough howdy-doody or Pollyanna for you to feel good about your life. And so there are times when, when God invites us that to the power of the Spirit that he will just kind of pour joy into us if we ask him. The Apostle Paul said it, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. There are some days you just don't have it. But God does. He has a joy. He has a perspective about your life that's better than the one that you have about your life. And then there was the other way that we talked about. And that was our awareness and the integration of the plan of God for our lives. We talked about how the word of God puts together this thing called a structure or a a noetic structure. It's this way of knowing in our brains. And every one of us do this. You may not be into philosophy, but we all organize our thoughts in kind of a spiderwebbish kind of way. We put some central ideas towards the middle. Then there's these other ideas that are out here. There are some key things that hold the web to the trees and the surrounding. So those may be foundational support ideas, but we all have a structure that we look through life. And joy comes to us when we 
when we allow that structure of God to be built in us and we look through it as we evaluate the circumstances of life and as they happen around us. Um, Jesus told a parable about this. He talked about this, how we orient our lives, how we structure our thoughts, how we put ourselves together, uh, and the power of building our lives on the word of God. You're probably familiar with the story. It comes out of Matthew 7, 24. And Jesus is telling a group of people, he's kind of laid out this whole structure, this idea of life and, and about forgiveness and mercy and about obeying the word of God and, and living your life on it. And he, and he tells them this. He says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be a wise man who builds his house upon a rock. And the rains fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house, but it did not fall because it was founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell and great was the fall of it. He's talking about the importance of not only hearing the word of God, but implementing it, deploying this, this way of viewing life, this structure of thought that, that we need to have for our lives and how we view circumstances around. Instead of trying to orient our lives with favorable circumstances, rather changing the way that we think about the world and about God and about ourselves and begin to look from an inside out at the world around us. You know, um, and this story is really cool, particularly because we flood here at Crosstown. If you live off of the Bees Ferry area, um, you know that we flood three times in the last three years, and it just kind of wipes out the building. And as a result of it, I've had an opportunity to grow in some really uh, different kinds of knowledge. You know, not just systematic theology or the Bible, but I've had an opportunity to grow in knowledge of geology, you know, which is, which is really cool. Um, hydrology is absolutely amazing. If you get an opportunity to, to get into anything, hydrology, how water moves in soil, how it moves, I, I mean, it's just absolutely incredible. Um, have had an opportunity to learn about construction, about, you know, one of the things that we learned about this building in order to fix it, we could raise the interior floor, like suspend a floor, about eight foot high, and we'd put in these things called helical piers. But one of the things that we learned from the geological report was that this building is literally sinking. Now, don't, don't worry, it, it, you know, it'll be just about the time the sun blows up that this will occur. But, you know, we can't build a bigger building here or a higher building because of the pluff mud, or like 40 feet below us, there is a type of soil that we're just sinking into. But it was really cool to learn stuff like that. And I've learned about ecosystems. And um, so I've had an opportunity to sit around and talk with environmentalists, with uh, engineers, storm drainage people and specialists. And, and I've learned a lot about what's going on with the flooding here in Charleston and, and some of the different ways that it could possibly be fixed and some of the challenges that are built into it. But I particularly have learned these subjects because of this building and because of its reoccurring flooding issues. And, I, and I've re actually grown to love this stuff. I mean, if I was, I would have to admit, if I was young again and go, go back to college, hydrology really is just the way that water moves. And you say, well, man, dude, get over it. Well, Jesus was a hydrologist. He was really into it. He talks about having life through the Spirit of God and streams of living water will flow out of your innermost being. 
I mean, that's an artesian well is what he's talking about. He's talking hydrology inside the human spirit. So it, it's really cool subjects. And what I like to do, because I am, I, I'm not a very spiritual person, and I am a little bit of a skeptic at times, and, you know, you guys know that about me. I, I love looking at things in nature and in science to see if they correlate with what we believe in the spiritual realm. Not that, I, that nature has a prior authority. It's just that if something's true, you think it might be kind of true in a lot of different places. And I don't think God gave us nature and science this incredible, beautiful thing and said, okay, like children, when you walk by science or nature, don't look at it. Don't look at it. It's, it's all wrong. It's, it's lying to you. It's not telling you the truth. I, I, I think it's actually the opposite. I think the scriptures tells us that nature declares the glory of God. So when I get in these situations where science is involved, it really begins to help me. And I began to notice that there was a correlation between um, these two issues of environment and building and nature. And in the conversations that I've had with all the experts, there were these three words that kept popping up. I mean, every one of them was, was using these three words, and they were using these words different than I might have been using them in my own life. These words were being used by the biologist. They were being used by the, um, the construction people and, and talking about also how nature works. Every one of them were using these three words. And then I began to flip through the book of Philippians, and I began to realize that the Apostle Paul is talking these words also. He may not be using the exact words, but he's talking these concepts. So I want to talk about these three words and how they play out in life because I can tell you this. These three words that come to us from hydrology and geology and construction and engineering, they're all in play in your life. To one degree or another, these three words apply to your life and will also apply to your spiritual life. So let's take a look into the world of science and nature with, on our first word. And our first word is robust or robustness. Um, as, as I was listening to the engineers, they would talk about, uh, don't worry, if you hear kids screaming, they're okay. They're just super happy. I saw every mother and grandmother turn their heads when that scream. Uh, ben, could you check on that for us? <laughs> uh, and call our attorney, would you? Uh, so... Uh, <laughs> You know, um, when, when you're talking to construction people, they'll start talking about this issue of robustness, or you talk to an environmentalist about it. And here's what the technical phrase means. Robustness is dependent on the consistent set of values within a system or within an object to maintain homostasis. Kind of cool word there. Homostasis is, is, is the state of internal conditions. Basically, uh, that robustness is the set of values in something that remain you and I basically chill, that we can kind of relax, that all the conditions, the outside pressures and the inside pressures are kind of leveled out and everything's kind of, um, you know, homostasis. We're just, we're kind of, everything's balanced out. I am able to, to live the life that I'm living, I'm at a pretty consistent condition on who I am in my life. So a common illustration that comes to us from biology would be the robustness of a tree. 
Um, whether or not a tree is able to stand against a hurricane or against a storm or against a flood or even against beetles or insects or against the heat is all coming down to robustness of the tree, this technical biological term. Inside of the tree, there is a set of values that make up the tree. And inside the core of what this tree is, there is all these different principles that are at work or values that are inside of the tree. For instance, the value of density, the values of um, the fibrous level of the tree. There's the, um, the value of flexibility. There's the value of the root system. If it's a pine tree, it may have a taproot system. It goes straight down into the ground and, it's, and it goes deep. And then if it's an it's a oak tree, it may have this breaking up like little branches underneath the ground and spreads out beyond the radius of the tree. But all those things add up to values that determine whether the tree in a storm will be classified as robust, that it's able to maintain homostasis, that it's able to be chill, kind of just hanging out in the middle of a storm. It's like, I got this. Uh, you know, my values are okay. I got everything's lined up inside of me. I can handle this storm. And these values to determine if it's going to maintain its structure and its functionality. But as soon as the tree is moved outside of those values that are built into the tree, the system begins to uh, disintegrate. It begins to fall apart. And those inside values to determine its ability to respond to things like like wind, or, or storms, or bugs, or heat. Now, when, a, when wind is involved with the tree, it's, it produces an effect, and that becomes our second word that comes to us from biology and engineering. And it's called perturbation. It's, it's kind of a word that you probably haven't used a lot, and, and it's going to make a lot of sense, but perturbation is the deviation of a system from its normal state of affair caused by an outside force. We use a word that's a lot smaller. It's the word perturbed. You know, it's when your kids are running around the house and they're breaking things and you get perturbed. It's because you have an outside force that's beginning to alter the internal state of who you are as a mother and a father. Things at work. Uh, there may be a perturbation at work that is altering the state of the work environment where it's not as enjoyable as it used to be, but it's beginning to affect the internal workings of who you are at work. There are things that perturbations that can occur in politics. It can happen in nature. It can happen in your computer. When your computer gets a virus, that's a perturbation. It's something that affects the normal operating state of a computer and begins to disrupt the values that are inside of it. We've seen this happen because when a perturbation is bad enough, it begins to destroy things. When a tree is moved outside of its robust values, it's all those things that make it strong and the ability to withstand, well, the tree has to respond to it. And we've seen in Charleston how when a tree is not robust enough, it begins to have an effect on it. And I remember looking at... Um, the Francis Mar Marion Forest after Hugo. If you flew over, it was just wiped out. All you saw was broken matchsticks. All these pine trees just snap, 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 snap. I mean, pine trees, uh, pine trees are, are really um, impressive trees. I, we always do this talk about the oak. 
You know, the mighty oak, it starts off as a little acorn and grows up into this giant, robust tree. Well, not in Charleston, it's not. All it takes is a little bit of like four inches of rain and about 120 mile an hour wind. And, and the oak tree is like, yeah, I'm out of here. He's like the first one to leave a Christmas party. He just get, it, he's fallen over and he's gone. But you know, the, uh, the pine trees are pretty cool. They're not as sexy, but they're, they're just like tall. And they're, they're, they're just up there and they're like, yeah, I got this, I got this, you know, I got this, I got this. And then they get to a point where all the values of the internal tree are compromised or superseded. And what's it do? It snaps and it chops somebody's house in half. Compare that though, to some of the other trees. And when the tree is destroyed, um, there's complete loss. But then there are some trees that have a different value. And it's our third word. We had robust. We had the perturbations of life that happen against the tree and against people. And then there's this third word. And this third word is resilience. Resilience is the ability of a system or an object like a building or a tree, or an ecosystem, to adapt or to bounce back from the perturbation. The Japanese people are ingenious in some of their building constructions because they have to be. They would build these really robust buildings, but the problem with a robust building is that once the earthquake started happening and the robustness of the building was compromised, the building would crack right down the middle, and therefore it was no longer any good and couldn't be recovered, just like a snapping pine tree. But they started building buildings that had resilience, and it's an actual engineering phrase. So now in, in Japan, the buildings begin to sway back and forth under the pressure of the probation of the, of the earthquake. And so they built the buildings with resilience into them. And resilience is the counterbalance to probation. Pine trees are highly robust, but they have very little resilience compared to the great state of South Carolina's palmetto tree. What an incredible tree. And now you won't look at the flag the same way again. And when you think about why we're called the Palmetto State, it's not because we picked a really cool looking tree. It's because it's not only robust, it's resilient. And if you ever look at the hurricane photos coming out of Florida and South Carolina and Georgia, you'll see these palms and palmetto trees. I mean, they're like bent over. And you're like, it's a goner. And its, and it's hair is all messed up and it's all streaming back and having a bad hair day and it's all bent over. But as soon as the wind goes by, all of a sudden you just see that thing just work its way back through resilience and it's able to spring back. These are some really interesting science and biological ideas. But then you can translate them and correlate them to what Jesus is talking about, the wise man building his house. See, faith is the set of values that make up the internal structure of your life. The tree deals with density and fiber and does with also how the, the, the fibers and the flexibility of those fibers operate. Those are its values. But for us as individuals, faith is the organization of the structures and the values based upon the word of God. And so that begins to make us think about our lives. If you think about your life, you think about your marriage, you think about your family, begin to ask the question, how robust is my marriage? Not just, hey, are you married? Yeah, I'm married. But you know, there are all kinds of trees out there, but they all don't have robustness built into them. What is the internal structure of you as an individual? 
how you think. What is the fiber? What is the density of the word of God in your life? How much of it makes up who you are? Do, are you made up of faith? Or is faith just a capital-lettered word that it's something that, like Islam and atheism and Christianity, that you have a faith with a capital F, but you're not made of the faith. You don't have the robustness of the faith. That maybe, yes, you know, 20 years ago in a Baptist church, you walked the aisle, you raised your hand, you got dunked in the booth, and you got saved. But is it made up who you are as an individual? Does it become the integral parts that define the very structure of who you are, the values? And does it begin to produce a robustness? I'll tell you one of the ways you can find out is when you hear bad news on TV, when you get bad news from the doctor, when you're challenged with arguments in your marriage, when you're faced with economic issues, how well do you stand strong? How does it affect your life? How does it affect your thoughts with God? And faith is that internal values. It's, it's, it's how things are organized in our lives by the word of God. Then joy comes in. So we got faith, but we also got this thing called joy. And joy is the spring back of the palmetto. It is the spring back of the palm tree. It is the power of resilience against adversity. How do you pop back from a divorce? How do you pop back from a personal compromise where you've done something wrong? How do you pop back from financial difficulty or loss? How do you pop back from challenges that come into your life? See, that's where joy comes in because it is the spiritual equivalent of resiliency. It's, it's what brings you back. It's not just some Pollyanna idea about God. It's not just trying to think positive thoughts so that you won't feel real bad about your life. It is the actual internal structure of what you're made out of by the word of God that gives you the ability to spring back. So it makes me think. Think about your own personal life. Do you feel that, yeah, I'm saved, or yeah, I believe in God? That just makes you a tree. That's all it does. But it doesn't determine whether or not you're robust against the storms of life. And they all come. You know, think about your resiliency. Is it easy to push you over and you don't spring back? Do you get angry at people and don't forgive? Do you... Do you get anxious about things and find yourself always pressed over. You know, and anxiety is an interesting thing because anxiety is the result of a probation that might not really exist. That's a tree that says, well, you know what? It's going to be windy in a week. I'm going to bend over now. I'm just going to do this now because I know there's going to be a storm. That's what anxiety is. It's, it's expecting an outcome that hasn't even presented itself yet. I love why Paul's talking about joy so much. It's because, it's not because he's, a, he's like a superstar Christian. It's because he's gone from robustness, believing in Jesus, preaching Jesus, and now the wind's blowing. The values of his life are being challenged. He's not talking about joy because he just wants to speak on joy. It's because he's living and surviving on resiliency. He's talking about it so much because he's got to have it. 
And he realizes and he discovers the value of having this internal resilience based upon the word of God. That's why I think Paul in Philippians 2.12 says something like this. He says, therefore, my beloved, in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. It's not that you got to earn God or you got to make sure you do it right or you're going to hell. But rather what he's saying is work out the ability to push back on life. Develop not just a salvation that gets to heaven, but a salvation that endures in life against the probations of life. Develop pushback. Too many of us, we just, you know, life comes up to us with a bad thing. We get a text message we don't like. We get an email. We see something on Facebook. We turn on CNN. Somebody says something to us at work and goes, and we snap. You know, it just, it just wipes us out. And the Apostle Paul says, you need to begin to work this into the fiber of who you are, working out this enduring ability of being saved in, in death and in life, developing the flexibility, the pushback of life. Because I can tell you this, if you don't have joy, you are going to snap. Sometime, some, it'll happen, if you don't have joy, if you're not consistently building your life with the Spirit of God and in, based upon the construct of God's Word in your life, life will just bend you, it will bend you, it will bend you, and it will snap you. You know, t too often what I've also found, and this is a concept that comes to us from, from the world of construction biology, is that we tend to build our lives internally only on very simple little things like success or um, pleasure or happiness. That we, we build our lives that way. And, and there's a phrase that comes to us from engineering. It's, called, it's a system that's called um, a, a system with self-organized criticality. I told you, I was, I'm really learning a lot of stuff in this whole flooding world. A system with self-organized criticality is a system that... Um, that where some small event can have a large effect on the system. It doesn't take a lot. It doesn't take a, a lot to, of perturb to upset it. Maybe you've seen it before. I, let me just give you a little ex example of, of a system that has um, um, self-organized criticality. Thank you. Anytime you can work um, one of these babies into a message, you're doing okay. All right, so we got, we got that. But you know what that's called? Anybody? Want to tell me what that is? Perturbance. This is a perturbance, okay? This is what this thing's going to do. It's going to perturb the situation that I, I'm about to put together. But to many of us, we will begin to construct our lives in a way that is um, self -or with self-organized criticality. And if you've done a lot of hiking, maybe you've seen these kind of rock structures. They're, they're really cool. Matter of fact, I'm going to try to do this in front of you. Uh, I've practiced it a couple times. But I'm going to try to put together a system here. It has self-organized. I'm going to organize it by myself. No God. Don't need God. But it's going to have a high level of criticality, meaning that uh, it's not going to take a lot for it to blow over. So, you know, if you're good looking, you throw that in there. You have a really, you're really good at what you do. We put that in there. If you've got a nice house, well, let's just stack that on there. Um, 
And let's, uh, okay, now we're also going to, um, you have a high IQ, so you're a really smart person. I'm going to build off of that. I'm not going to work this rock into it because I think I've got, uh, it's a little too heavy. And then I'm going to put this guy up here like that. All right? All right, so there we go. There's, there's our, oh, oh, hold on. Don't do it. Don't do it. Now that, in engineering and biology, is a self-organized system with criticality. It is going to be easy for a perturbance to wreck this system. And here we go. 200 miles an hour. I mean, we've got, got my power. Okay? And so I'm just going to... Okay? Eat it, Bill Nye. We can do that in the church, too. But what's the, what's the point out of all this? The point is, is that a lot of us have organized our lives just like that. Okay, let me ask you this. If you didn't get a paycheck for three months, where would your life be? I have heard that if the average American doesn't have a paycheck for six months, 90% of Americans would be in bankruptcy. Okay? What do we call that? A self-organized criticality. What if you went to the doctor and you got that second phone call? Not the first phone call. Hey, just leaving a mess, voicemail. Biopsy came back, everything looks good. We made an appointment for next, next October, we'll see you then. But what if you got that message that says, listen, when you get an opportunity, Mr. Rienzo, if you could call the doctor's office, uh, Dr. McLean would like to talk to you about some of your results. Boom! All of a sudden, rocks begin rolling off. Things begin to fall off. What happens when all of a sudden your spouse comes home and they don't think you're as sexy as you were 30 years ago? You know? And all of a sudden, you start getting into arguments and discussions about finances and about things, and, and rocks begin to fall. See, not many of us have designed a life that, that is robust enough to handle the issues that happen around us. And this is what Jesus is talking about. You know, Jesus is talking about uh, there's, there are those who build their lives upon the rock, and then there are other people who are just stacking rocks. And you say, well, I, you know, I, where, do you, where am I in life? We'll answer the question. When you hear bad news, when you're faced with difficulty, how robust are you? Or all of a sudden, do you start rethinking God? You start rethinking your marriage. Every time something goes wrong, you rethink in your career or whether or not God loves you or, or whether or not life's good. What about if you get hit with something? How do you bounce back from your divorce? How do you back, bounce back from your mistakes? Maybe even your own sin. How do you, how do you bounce? See, I have an amazing uh, resiliency when it comes to sin. I can mess up yesterday, get on my knees, and just say, God, I just asked that you forgive me for what I just did. And I believe it is so true that he is faithful and just to forgive me of all my sins. All of a sudden, I bounce back up. You say, dude, what is that? I, see, shame is the anti-resilience psychology. I mean, that's what shame says. You don't have a right to spring back from the life and the mistakes that you've made. Grace says, oh, yeah, you spring back, baby. You get, you know, he is faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you of all your unrighteousness. You say, well, yeah, but not what I've done wrong. No, well, if you decided that you want to snap with all the other pine trees on planet Earth, you can go ahead and do it. But this is an opportunity to find out, God, am I robust in you? Or am I just attending church? Am I expecting the preacher to do it for me or the youth group to do it for me? 
Or do I have it woven into the fiber of, of who I am, the very trunk of being of who I am as an individual? Do I have robustness? What do I do when I get offended by people? When somebody says something, do I hold, do I snap in unforgiveness or do I bounce back with forgiving one another as we also have been forgiven? We organize our lives very delicately to have success and happiness and pleasure and affirmation, but they, are, they, they don't have the ability to stand up against the effects of time. It is so easy to have things that perturb you, that affect you, that can just mess up your train of thought or how things are going in your life. This is why the Apostle James says something to his church when he's writing to them. And I've got to be honest with you. I thought this verse was stupid, okay? Um, and maybe you're not willing to admit that you think some of the Bible things are kind of stupid, but uh, I didn't say I think it's wrong. I just, from my perspective, I really couldn't see how this really makes any sense until now. James says this, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Ah, do I got some other folks out there that are willing to admit that maybe this sounded stupid the first time they read it? I mean, who in the world would think experiencing trials is something to be joyful about? But I'll tell you what the important thing that we're going to learn from James is, is that you get to find out what you're made out of, and God considers that one of the, the second greatest thing you can ever learn. The first thing you can learn that's great is to learn about God. The second thing to find out about yourself is, is find, to learn about is about what are you? What are you made out of? What is your internal structure? Are you fooling yourself? Or are you really this, do I really believe in God? I remember when the first flood happened, I was, I was so angry. It, it perturbed me to no end. It was, a, and, I, and I, all, I was like, bleh. You didn't want to be around me. I was F-bombing. I was S-bombing. I was J-bombing. I was, you know, W-bombing. I was bombing all, all the letters of the alphabet. I was just dropping them all. Because I got an opportunity to find out through this perturbance, I got an opportunity to find out what was inside of me. And you know what God says? Ha, oh, you need to be happy about that. Because you didn't know you had that in you. You thought you were spit, polished, clean, ready to go, faithful servant of the living God, saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost, and go to heaven. You thought you were all of that. It took a, a perturbance to, and I'm now pronouncing it differently than I did earlier today, but that's the toughness of that word. But you begin to find out what's in you, what perturbs you about life. So he says, no, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet various trials, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. I could have and put the word resilience in there. He said, no, when the wind blows, you get to find out what you're made out of. Don't you want to know what you're made out of? Or you just want to stick your fingers in your ears and go, ah, la, 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 la. Just want to be happy. Just want to have pleasure. I don't want to really know what, what I'm made out of, who I am, and, and you know, and the, James is like, don't you want to know what you are? Don't you want to know what you're made out of? Don't you want to get down to the core of who you are as an individual so you can get to work on it? Count it all joy so that it produces steadfastness. And let your steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Man, palm tree status. That, that in every situation that you're able to 
when the pressures get hard, you can bend, but you don't snap. When things come against your life, yes, the values inside of you get challenged, but as you bend with the values of joy in your life, you have that resiliency to be able to spring back and to survive the events. See, adversities help you see the quality of your build. See how, how good of a build you got, that, like your house, how good of a build it is. How good of a, your financial situation or You know, we want to know how good of a, a build it is. But adversities help you find out what is your build. Hmm. Sounds like a partial answer to why would a good God allow bad things to happen to, to people on planet Earth. Because God wants the people on Earth to find out whether or not they're really good or bad. He wants the people on planet Earth to find out what they're really made out of. And if they have snappability, he wants to heal that snappability. He wants to build in us something greater. He doesn't want a perfect world. He wants a group of people who understand, who have aligned their lives with the inner qualities of the word of God and arranged them in such a way that any adversity can come against their life and they spring back with joy. See, Christianity has never been a religion that said, if you have enough faith, you won't have storms. I wanted that Christianity, but I couldn't find it. Um, Christianity isn't a religion that says, well, if you have faith, you're not going to get sick. You're just going to be in a state of complete, uh, I don't know what they even call that, divine health or something like that. Because you have enough faith that you can stave off of every sickness that's going to happen into your life. Uh, there is no such Christianity. There's no grief-proof or loss-proof Christianity. But what we do have is joy. What we do have is resiliency. Here's what the proverb says about it. The righteous man or woman falls seven times and rises again. Now, it doesn't mean he necessarily falls to a compromise, but it includes compromises. The righteous man or woman falls seven times. It could be to a you know, bad experience in a marriage, a bad experience economically, a bad experience physically, whatever it is. He said, but the righteous person, the person who has rightly ordered their life, their internal, the trunk system of their, of their tree, that when they get blown over, they spring back. They keep springing back. They keep springing back. So as we move into this moment of expressions, let me just ask you, how robust are you? Is this Christianity thing just a capital F thing? That it's a faith thing? Or is it actually make up the values of who you are as an individual? Or maybe you've got the Christian values. But have you developed resilience through the joy of the Holy Spirit? Have you, do you constantly push this idea of life forward or do you get distracted by the cares and the worries of life? Jesus told the disciples, he said, listen, in this world, you're going to have tribulation. Perturbation is going to happen to everyone. So stop acting like you're surprised that somebody loses their job. Stop acting surprised that somebody gets cancer. Stop acting surprised that you deal with depression. Don't stop acting surprised that Washington acts weird. Stop acting surprised that one nation fights another and earthquakes that happen on this planet. It says you're going to have perturbation in this world. 
But how you build your life and structure your life will determine how you will spring back from any adversity that faces your life. And have you built your life on the rock or have you just taken a bunch of rocks and organized them in a way that just, yeah, you know it's not gonna last forever, but it makes me happy for the moment. Is the joy of the Lord your strength or are you somebody who snaps easy? As soon as you get perturbed by life, you question the whole thing. And let me just say, if you're here today and you have been snapped, God's so good. Because we talked about an R word called robust. We talked about an R word called resilience. And God gives to those of us who snap another R word. It's called resurrection. He gives us the ability to rise again through the power of his spirit. So rise with the mercy of God. Rise through grace, build robust in the word, and live resilient with joy. And any storm of life that comes, you will stand. And after doing everything that you know to do, you will stand firm in the time in the, of stress, grief, loss, or challenge. Father, we come into this moment with you. And this is not only a moment where we learn about you. In this moment, God, we're learning about us. But we're learning about you in a place of grace, that you don't want to hurt us. But rather, God, you want to create in us a robustness, a resilience of life. And today, God, we just open ourselves up to you. And if we found out today that we're not as robust as we should be, today, God, we pray that you would rise within us, that you would raise us from our doubts, that you would raise us from our failures to new life. Maybe today we found out that we just snap too easy when we're perturbed by life. Today, God, we ask for your Holy Spirit to fill us with joy and teach us, Lord, to organize your word in such a way that we can stand in the time of flood, the time of wind, the time of trial. I thank you, God, personally. I thank you. And I now count it all joy when I have faced various trials that have revealed what I'm made out of. And God, I thank you that all that I have found has not been good, but through your mercy and grace, you have forgiven it and you've helped begun to reorganize it in my life. So Father, as we take communion, as we enter into this moment of worship and, and quietness before you, Lord God, just speak to our souls. We thank you.